Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I'm excited for so many reasons this week and uh, uh, most of them having to do with the fact that Rory K. Smith isn't back yet. No, 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 I'm actually more excited. We miss Rory. With me in the studio today is the excellent Tony Cascarino and award-winning writer, or you wrote a book with an award-winning writer. Yes. He's the award winner and you're the guy who supplied the stories. Would be Paul Kimmage. Yes. There you go. Sir Paul Kimmage. Has he been knighted, really? No, I just... I thought he was Irish. I'm going Yeah, well, that's Can Irish people be knighted? Sir Bob Geldof, there you go. Uh, That other voice you heard, of course, (laughs) is uh, not the one with the French accent, is Alison Rudd, who joined us again. She's a little bit under the weather, so please bear with her. And finally, of course, we have Julian Lawrence. Coming up, we'll be discussing Jurgen Klopp's first loss against Alan Pardew's Palace, uh, Leicester's remarkable form, uh, as well as the usual quick hits. But first, let's talk about the North London Derby. Alison, I'm going to start with you. Going into this game, Arsenal were coming off a 5-1 spanking that probably could have been 10-1 in the Champions League. But in some ways, it was good to have the Spurs game next because it kind of gave you an immediate sense to show, or an immediate chance rather, to show that what we saw in Munich wasn't the real Arsenal and you could come back in a way that perhaps a home tie against Norwich or, or, or Sunderland couldn't have. I thought Arsenal got killed early on. Yeah, they could have done with a home tie against Norwich or Sunderland. That's what they needed, Gab, not a home tie against Spurs, who, if you're going down the theoretical what-they-needed path, Spurs, having played Thursday night, probably didn't need the North London derby. I mean, everyone knows Europa League is such an exhausting campaign anyway. We uh, played Monday night and Thursday night, I might add. Three games in yeah, seven days. Thank yeah. you, Premier League schedulers. Well, exactly. They couldn't so, work out the fact that Spurs were going to be in the... In the Europa League, six it's hard days? to tell. I think you'll find it's seven. Monday, Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday brings us to seven. <laughs> Thank you. It's getting it's getting too highbrow for me. <laughs> but anyway, so but so he's ca- in Cas- theory, Cascarino's actually counting on his fingers as we speak. Can I also point out, right? Right. <laughs> this is what I don't understand about you, Cass. You've played poker professionally for real money, right? Mm. So presumably you can handle complicated calculations in your mind, but counting to seven is You're looking is a bit to undermine challenging. me here. No, no, I, I, I just find this, this, this duality fascinating. Well, I was sort of, you know, it's back to the, it was Monday night, so it's probably in between lunchtime kickoff. Yeah, do you count the Monday when the game is Monday night? Yeah, so it's, it's <laughs> nearly Tuesday. It's only a couple of hours from, well, four hours from Tuesday. So, so now six, my six and three quarter days, isn't it? Yeah. Julian, yeah. Julian, Julian, you see the, the the state of the Anglo media. Please bring some continental logic to this. Yes. Um, I haven't even finished speaking yet. It's been please. interrupted by adding up. I, I apologize. Should we do nursery rhymes next? No, no, go on. Okay. No, I was simply going to say if you were to put the build up for each club. It was tougher still yeah. for Tottenham, and yet they were the team that looked fresher and technically better. It's not often that Arsenal play teams that are technically better. Is that is it true? Yeah, it's true. It's true. There haven't been that many, especially at the Emirates, playing the West Spurs played for 70 minutes. I mean, I think Arsenal played with 10 men in the first half because Santi Cazorla was completely out of it. Came on at halftime for dizziness and, and clearly not being well. 
So I think there was there was a bit of that. I think there was a bit of of Arsenal not really physically being ready for for what's coming, which is weird because you just had to watch the last few games from Spurs, knowing that. This is exactly how they were going to play. So it looked like Arsenal were not really sure exactly how Spurs were going to play and got surprised by well, how high they were pressing, how quick they got pressing around the board to get it back, how, you know, how Dele Alli and Dyer were working in midfield, Dembele, Eriksen, the movement Kane had, which is always the same. That first goal, surely they should have... It was terrible. <laughs> but, but surely they should have known that's exactly the kind of thing that Spurs would bring to, that, to this game. And it looked like Arsenal were not ready for that, which is... Hard to believe. Cast the remarkable thing with this, though, is that as badly as Arsenal played for 70 minutes or as well as, as Tottenham played for 70 minutes, Giroud still had a grab bag of chances. In fact, we bumped into one <laughs> Ian Wright outside who was... Uh, quite vocal. Not, quite vocal, yes. Not too happy with Giroud's performance. We'll get to this. Arsenal playing this badly with so many guys out, with Alexis Sanchez, totally mm. anonymous or whatever, was really, I thought... Only Urzel and maybe one or two others from starting eleven really playing well. They created enough chances mm. to win this game. Well, I think the strange thing was that you know we always associate Arsenal with moving the ball, brilliant technique on individuals, and set pieces were a problem for Spurs. They, they really looked, didn't they? They looked like they were going to score every time they got one. Arsenal, and when it came in, it was literally get the ball in the box. And funny enough. Bayern Munich, the home game, when Giroud scores his header, that sort of ball's becoming more prominent for Arsenal. And they're playing in a style that Giroud is the most effective. But he hasn't finished off two or three glorious chances. And like you said, bumping into righty, he had made a really good point, which was he hasn't got Theo pressurising him. Sometimes as a centre forward, you don't have pressure on you. You can be a little bit lazy and a little bit... Just not as hungry. And I, don't I'll get defer me to you on this because you're a professional centre forward, unlike me. Do you actually get lazy when you know that, like, you're? You I know, think you the can do. Stuff? Yeah, I, I, Does I that certainly. To you? My, my own career, yeah. I, I think I got slightly. I was the top goal scorer leading into the '90 World Cup qualifying campaign, and I sort of guaranteed my place in the World Cup '90. And remember thinking for the Republic. This is for the Republic, Republic of, of Ireland. Ireland, yeah. And uh, I didn't quite play as well, and just for. Wouldn't be left out, and Big Quinny came in from nowhere, and Jack saw it immediately. Felt, and he actually said to me, "He said you need a bit more pressure on you. You you think you're just a certain star." And I always remember that World Cup because I remember looking at Viali at the we played Italy. He was on the bench for Italy because Scalacci had come in, and I think Viali had gone into that. Com- I think you do sometimes send forward if you don't have that pressure of fighting for your shirt and another player really pushing you. You know that. If I don't yeah. play well today, I don't score. Sometimes you can be a little bit lackadaisical. And I, I certainly felt Giroud, I, I sort of got what Wright was saying uh, about Giroud against uh, Spurs. I'll be sure to let Luca know that you think his um, his benching in the 1990 World Cup was due to him being a little bit lazy and not the fact that he broke his foot a month before the, com- <laughs> well, before the whatever competition. Reason, Gab, I'm just kidding. I, I'm kidding. I take your point on that. Let's talk about Spurs a little bit because... We've praised them so much. Many people praise them for, for the, the, just the sheer youth of this lineup. I, I think I'm right in saying that the outfield players that Spurs have actually used this season in the Premier League, every single one is age 25 or younger, except for Alderweireld, Vertonghen, Dembele, uh, Dembele Lloris. I, I think there might have been one other guy, but mm. this is a team that, in, in theory, could be together for another four or five years. At the same time, though, the reason it's working with, with Pochettino is because, you know, Pochettino's a very good manager and he's got guys who've taken on board the way he wants them to play and all this stuff. 
but also he doesn't like big personalities and and he, and he doesn't like people who are also a little bit nasty sometimes difficult to manage mm. big voice like he wouldn't necessarily like a john terry for example in his team they're not quite choir boys but everybody in the spurs lineup seems like somebody who's thoroughly pleasant with the possible exception of Ryan Mason and Fazio. And Fazio doesn't play and Mason doesn't start anymore. Ben Taleb, yeah. And the two center backs especially, like I don't want to say they're they're you know they're, they're soft, but certainly that's the, perf- the, the 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 perception point. Is that I mean, did you see a merit in this, Julian? I mean is yeah. that and I think he's been like that everywhere he's been and it could be a problem when I think to, to win big things you need big characters in your dressing room. It's great to have Dele Ali and Eric Dyer and Vertonghen and Alderweireld and all of that or Lloris even but I think there's a point where you need a bit of nastiness you need a bit of big character you need also I, the dressing Ali looks room. like he has personality yeah no no I'm not saying about personality I'm saying he's like 19 big, yeah. he's not and he's not nasty or maybe we haven't seen the nasty side of him but maybe he comes a bit later in Pochettino's process right. as a manager right. you know maybe he comes maybe for, for the squads he's had so far and, and the way he wanted them to play you, you start that way and then when everything is a bit more established when you know, you're in the top four already when you are really fighting to win the league or win a European Cup or whatever maybe that, that's the next stage maybe <laughs> I wonder if we in the media again yeah, speaking from your experience mm. do you need the guy who, who will go and do something dirty or go and, 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 and shout at the players in the dressing room well I'm, I'm thinking of all teams and thinking of the obvious the Man United the Gerrards and Liverpool's and Whatever, and I'm sort of thinking, well, where's Man City's? Have they got? Have they really got a guy that's that nasty? I, I would argue Otamendi, Fernando, Fernando. <laughs> Fernando? Fernando? Yeah. I mean, I'm talking going when they won the title two or three of, years ago. Would well, you have said that they were a real had some real nasty characters in their team? I would say that they are. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I'm just trying to be devil's advocate here. I'm, no, just, I, I, I'm I, thinking that look, we associate success with go- sometimes having. A particular type of character within your team, going back to '66 and a Nobby style. No, but not just like, a Nobby style. But I mean, also because you can also have the veteran leader in your team, mm-hmm. and you know, Gary McAllister that Liverpool had. You know, that type. Right. City have had Vincent Company, of course. Yeah. You know, in terms of that kind yeah. of leadership. Until a team wins something that is completely nice all the way through. I mean, I've even watched the likes of Barcelona and we saw Mascarano. Mascarano fouls people for fun and is as nasty as anything in a tat challenge. Uh, do you know a team that's achieved real huge success without having certain characters within their team? Because I can't think I, of too many. I, I, I'd have to, I'd have to, really, I mean, I, I spent actually a bit of time thinking about it. I mean, the difficult thing is obviously from the outside uh, is that unless you spend time really talking to players on the team and so on, you don't actually know, right? Because no. there's also players who are psychopathic on the pitch <laughs> and off the pitch, they're the nicest people in the world. Equally, there are players who are genuine leaders on the pitch, but you don't see that off, off the pitch, pitch in the yeah, way that, yeah. you know, so it's tough. It's, I mean, it's, it's, Dembele, it's tough to tell. Dembele yesterday but, I mean, certainly was... when we talk about midfield and spine and all this yeah. jazz, you know, the veteran leadership, you know. I think, it's I it's Dele Ali who's 19, yeah. and Eric Dyer who's 20. I mean, he's another one who certainly when he came, I mean, the the, the perception at Everton before he went to, to to Portugal was that he was he was you know, a nice guy, gifted, yeah. but really really soft, yeah. you know. And in not like I do, he got I do harder wonder yesterday when the game started turning, if I'd had someone in midfield with a bit more experience, a bit more established, instead of Dele Ali and Dyer, who played great, they played really well for 70 minutes, but after that, this time, I'm not sure they really know exactly how to, to control that game and, and just to, to get it yeah. 
He was bit, he over the line to win it. Unfortunately, he liked neither Etienne Capou or yep. uh, or or Stambouli. You can, yeah, you can be Sandra. you can be a little bit soft to quote you back, Gab, if you do a lot of that pressing and high energy game because you don't have time to think about how soft you are. And the opposition are intimidated in a different sort of way. They're intimidated by I, the I closing right down now. of space and the fact that you're always in their face. Uh, and they don't have to be nasty people to do that. It's I mean, just they're following no. instructions. Mm. The we'll intimidation was done by how they, they pressed, the tempo of the game. I mean, that, no one got even a second on the ball on the Arsenal side to but think about what they were the doing. Game, though. What happens when you're not on top of the game? Well, like they were for the last 25 minutes or half an hour, where, OK, the pressing is not as efficient as it used to be earlier because one, you're tired, because the other team has found a way somehow to come back in the game. If you don't have a bit of that nastiness to somehow get the ball back by tackling a bit more or by getting more physical, then you lose the grip I, on the I, game I, that see, you have. I just want to say one, one thing on that, Julianne. That I think the game is evolving where more often than not, you're going to be getting second yellow cards and red cards. And I think in the, in the next 10 years, it's going to be a bigger problem for teams keeping 10 people on the pitch. So having nasty people out there, a lot of these Keens and all the people we're talking, wouldn't be lasting the 90 minutes anymore. Well, but not nasty as in breaking... Yeah, no, legs. But, but, but look at Flamini. Flamini brought but, Arsenal back in the game, coming on a half time and just you know making tackles there and there everywhere before moving to right back. Brought his team back because suddenly they weren't winning the ball back. They were winning challenges, 50-50s, duels, whatever you want to call it. And they were back in the game. <laughs> Isn't it a wonderful game though where you expect, like, if we were to tell you, like, Mathieu Flamini will be save Arsenal in a North London derby <laughs> two months ago. You would have you know, thought, like, what? <laughs> what kind of weirdo parallel universe uh, is, is that going to happen? But a level, level-headed Flamini is better than a dizzy Cazorla. All right. We need to broach the subject now because it's the, it's an annual subject with, with Tottenham. I think I'm renting they, they finish, finish between fourth and sixth every year for a long time. <laughs> Is this the year? I mean, given that they're young and growing, if you look at the table, I also just put on our glasses for that very purpose, so I can, I can inform you if you don't have one handy. City and Arsenal are on 26 points. Leicester's on 25. Uh, United are on 24 for those who are big six obsessed, the main reason to think that Spurs could maybe make it into the top four is that Liverpool are four points back on 17 and Chelsea are a million points back on negative eight. Is this the year? I need a percentage chance. I don't oh, love no. percentage chances. Oh, Alison no, doesn't like that. No. Okay, you, you can redeem yourself for counting to seven before. Percentage, because <laughs> you understand percentages. Percentage chance that... Spurs to make top four? Yeah. 75. 75% oh. chance. Mm. Wow, they'll get yeah. in front. Why? They'll get in front of Leicester. I think their biggest danger is Southampton, and I don't think that's the gap that Chelsea have got can bridge. I think Tottenham have got a great chance of making. Presumably, you don't see Liverpool making in the top four. I think it'll be very tough for them. Or, I, I still think there's United a lot of work out. for Klopp to be done. Not because they lost yesterday, right. but I still well, think we'll get the Liverpool in a minute. Yeah. In, in, in a minute, Allison? Around thirty-five percent, maybe less, because it, I can just feel the Groundhog Day moment coming. They're going to get sapped by the Europa. It's going to be exactly like last season. They've got West Ham next week. Chelsea the week after. I think after those two games, we'll know a bit, a bit, a bit more about them. I say fifty-fifty. I agree with Cass. I think Liverpool and Southampton will give them a good one for the money. Moving on to where we want to be, to a team that's won it five times or so, I'm told. <laughs> Liverpool and Crystal Palace. It's a sad day for people who aren't Alan Pardew fans. It's a sad day for Liverpool fans because Jurgen Klopp, I believe this is his first defeat. And it's a defeat at Anfield as well. Alison, it seems appropriate to begin with you. What? Do you want Rogers back yet? No, there's a really hard... <laughs> Brandon the Funniest thing I've heard in a long time. No, there's a very weird after stench to this game, and I'm not quite sure what's going on. Liverpool played 
Well, they created many more chances than Palace. It wasn't a dreadful performance. And yet, because the combination of it was raining, Stevie G was back, there was supposed to be a point to prove because Rodgers was defeated by Palace uh, at the end of last season. Klopp had yet to lose. All those things, plus the fact that some fans left early, has left this, this sort of stain on the game as though it's a huge disaster. Anyone who thinks you're going to take over a team with... Players he's inherited, Klopp, they're pretty average. I'll tell you what, if I was a manager and I could just choose a group of players to manage and then give them a name, I might go for Palace's group of players rather than Liverpool's, to be perfectly honest, in terms of the potential there and what they can inflict on a team. There's a lot, there's a gap, there's gaps in the Liverpool team. The fact that Klopp is left saying, oh, I felt alone and isn't it, oh, it's sad and people, people, people were telling us we were tired and maybe we were listening to them. And the narrative should be that maybe Klopp's identified... Europe as an area he can do really well in because he's got fantastic experience, unlike his predecessor, who just gave up on Europe every time he was in it. I think most football fans would be happy if he if he won the Europa League and finished <laughs> top six. It's not or, and the Capital One Cup. I mean, come on, it's one one league game in which Benteke just looked off form. That's all it was. Okay, so nothing to be concerned about because it created chances and. Oh, you're on board with that? I think it's not that concerning. Oh, you're not on board with her point that you would rather have Palace's squad of players no. than Liverpool's? Okay. No, I, although I think Palace have, have, have done really well in the summer to recruit. I think Sacco is a, it's a very clever move. I think Kabay, obviously, as well. I'd still rather to have, have the, the Liverpool squad, but I think it's just work in progress. You know, I th- It was not, never going to be easy for club to arrive, and despite the win at Chelsea, to arrive and suddenly... This Liverpool team to play like like the the Dortmund that did the double, for example, in Germany under club. It's never going to be like that. It will always take time, and and I would say to Jorgen, who's listening to the podcast, I know every Monday, welcome to England. That's what happens. People leave their seats early. This it's not just that Liverpool is it's in a lot of stadiums. But just, do you know? I think I don't think Jorgen's that stupid. I think he knows people leave stadiums. I think he thought Liverpool is a special club where the fans do not leave early. Jurgen Klopp was disappointed at the fans leaving early. They left. What time was uh, Scott Dance gone? Well, that's 2-1. How many times have people been at Anfield and seen the Liverpool team come back, the training, only by one goal? We're talking about one goal. That was against Olympiacos when Gerrard was on the pitch. Liverpool are very good traditionally at coming back from adversity. They'd created a lot of chances. The expectation surely would be they might create at least at least two more decent ones in the time left you know the famous cop they would suck the ball into the back of the net when he said he felt isolated because people were leaving early once Scott Dan's header had gone in I don't think he's naive in terms of thinking Ooh, I didn't realise people left games early in England he knows that perfectly well I think he thought Liverpool was a special club where the fans almost dictated results because of their passion and you're not going to dictate anything if you're leaving your seat uh, um, by the way but every time I go to Gillingham <laughs> I never <laughs> ask for a ticket. My first club, I always go and pay for it. Right, Good but man. I'm assuming there's you much traffic the to beat when you go to Gillingham. <laughs> well, no, there's not much traffic, okay. but I'm with, there's no cue, I'm with East. Uh, you, you can't leave. How can you leave? 2-1 down and there's like 10 minutes to go or whatever. I, I just find it amazing that fans would want to go to a game and their team is just gone one behind. Surely they need their fans to try and lift the team again and get something in the last few minutes. I find it really weird. Let's talk Palace because the Alan Pardew bandwagon rolls on. He's beaten some big teams away from home. You're, you're raising your finger. You, you want to... He fancied his chances there. He went into that game knowing what a great time to play Liverpool. Like he did 
win Chelsea. I know that Alan spoke to people privately before they played Chelsea at Selhurst Park. Uh, sorry, at the bridge. And fancied their chances, said we could get a result today. And I, I absolutely know that Alan felt what a great time to play Liverpool. They've beaten Chelsea the Sunday previously. They go to Ruben Kanzar on, what was it, Thursday night. And the way that they like to play, counter-attack with pace. Balassi was causing all sorts of problems, as he can do. They still had to do the job, but they did. Let's take Wilf Sahar. I mean, yeah. this is incredible man management, if you like. He's still... You know, on the Zaha, cusp of being a great never player. ever met Moise's daughter, as I discovered from your yes. piece. Well, I, I'm bringing him up because um, I sat down with Wilf a couple of weeks ago, and you call this him was Wilf sanctioned. Now, yeah? Sorry, you, you call him Wilf. Yes, we call him Wilf. Those who know him well, <laughs> and um, the decision to let him meet, uh, he met three with three members of the press, and that was uh, Wilf said yes, he'd do it, and then uh, Pardew said, yeah, I'm happy for him to do it, and there was a general sense around the club, oh, it's slightly surprising, just on the eve of playing Man United all you're going to get is grief from that sort of interview because it's clearly going to be either about how rubbish Man United were to let him go or he's might, he might he might slag off a United player or manager or something but they, they said yes he can sit down with you and Zahar did say that United were dreadful to him he had a horrible time and he was never told how to improve or what he could do to get in the team and all that happened were rumours developed about why he wasn't in the team all of them were untrue and he, he, he just was very deeply unhappy. And the, and the headline stuff was, he said, I'd never even met David Moyes' daughter because there was, there was speculation that he must have slept with her and that's why he was being dumped by the manager. It all got quite nasty. But after that interview came out, Pardew wasn't cross at all. He took the view, this has unburdened Zahar. He's got this all off his chest. He sort of dragged the poison out of his body. He can now concentrate on being a palace player, giving it, everything instead of being inhibited and worrying about things he can just go for it now he's a grown-up now he's said what he had to say i'm going to back him i think and he said publicly i think he dealt very well with the question small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because rustoleum's new custom spray five in one gives you control with five different spray patterns so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. ...in the interview and so on and so on. Um, page 11 of the game, next to an excellent column on Karim Benzema, there's pictures <laughs> of Jurgen Klopp and um, Alan Pardew on the sidelines, and... <laughs> this great picture where it looks like Pardew is kind of time traveling back to the late 90s and doing the whole like talk to the hand because the face ain't listening thing to Pardew. Did you see the photo? <laughs> it's, it's absolutely brilliant. If you, if you get a chance to, if you get a chance to see it, um, Palace are playing really well this year. And I think the criticism sometimes that, that no, not the criticism, but it's he's he's he's, he's chosen a way of playing, and it's proving and he's, yeah. and he's being proven right. I'm I'm not. I'm warming up. I'm listening to you and Kabai who tells me, you know, we work really hard. He's very clever in all his approach. Take the United game at home. Kabai says, we knew what we had to do. You block Martial. You know, you know you're not going to concede. We can play on the counter-attack. They controlled that game very well. It was very clever. They got the, the point they wanted. It was fair point. They didn't play great that day, but because they were on a different approach. Yesterday, well, on Sunday, they went for a different game plan that worked as well. I think he has different game plans, which yeah. is very good. 
So I'm kind of warming yeah. up the idea. There's and also, is, there's is also the game plan he had at Newcastle, of course, which is a whole other, uh, which is a whole other issue as well. But I think Kabay is key. Kabay has been the key player, more than Wilf, more than Polassier, more than Sako, who again, I said it was a very clever signing. I think Kabay has been key. Let's move on to somebody who is one point off the top of the table with a team that, oh, seven months ago, something like that, everybody was sure was going to get relegated because they were dead last. Uh, they've made some additions in the summer, but really, and, and I think actually they've contributed in, in, in big ways. But what struck me most about Leicester City this season is how there are people... I mean, Mark Albrighton, who's a guy that maybe gets talked about less than Vardy or Mares, I think is playing as well, maybe as he's ever played. Defensively, I think they're very good. And this is a team and that was really down in the dumps. Now, you remember, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm a Pearson fan. I'd rather go on holiday with Nigel Pearson than with Alan Pardew, personally. I'm, I think we all would. Maybe not Pat Murphy, but most other people Why would. Why would you want to go and already with any of them? Because <laughs> I find Nigel Pearson handsome and engaging. You wouldn't want to go on holiday with what? No. What, they skeeve you? No, I wouldn't want to go on holiday. I'd rather go and already with family. Would you go on holiday with Kajo Ranieri? That, w- that could be fun. That, could well, be fun. That, that, that would be fun. We could go and make pizza together. We'd have, we'd have big Louis giggles. Louis Van Gaal, would you go and already with him? <laughs> no. No, actually, I, I, but I'd know. I, I, I'd love to spend time to try and understand. Can you better. give us a list of your top ten? I'd go on holiday <laughs> yeah, with managers plus locations. That might be a project for, uh, for another week. Really? The point is, Leicester are one point off the top, and <laughs> some players have really improved. Mm. And and I think this manager deserves a little bit of credit because everybody was joking and laughing. Ha! The Tinker Man, crazy Claudio. Look, he's making pizza. What a weirdo. No one. <laughs> He's been no, loved no since he's that. got. Uh, when back. he was appointed, come no, on. No, the, appoint, the appointment felt ridiculous because of his experience with Greece. Everyone thought but, he's lost but, it. He's but, lost but, it. How can you lose at home to what the Faroe Islands was it? I mean, that's mm. ridiculous. Yeah, but isn't that's it kind of ridiculous. ridiculous and idiotic to go and judge somebody based on four six games, six games, however many it was? What, I mean, if Greece, you look at with the Greece national team, yeah, yeah but I'm explaining Chelsea's... why it was a it was a left field appointment. He, he he wasn't arriving back in the Premier League on the back of having done something well at well, well internationally well, or with a club. Well, it was Monaco before, which was not too bad. Not just that, he also finished second in in Serie A at, with Juventus and with Roma since um, since leaving I'm Chelsea. Not, I'm not saying so, he's a bad manager. I'm saying that is why it surprised people. Perception. No, but this is the thing, right? But you have to. It, it surprised it surprised foolish people who. Because, okay, I, I take your point. If he was a no-name manager, right, a guy, some dude nobody's ever heard of, if he was Takis Papadopoulos, mm-hmm. who goes and manages Greece and then they lose and nah, ha, ha. But this is a guy who had a CV, right? So you shouldn't be surprised necessarily that they would go for somebody who has a long and decent CV and who obviously lost some bad games with the national team. But you're not going to judge him on, on four to six games, especially when managing a national team is so different than managing a, a club side, right? No, I agree with you completely. I'm just trying to explain why there was this initial right. surprise. So, Julian, why are they good? Um, well, they're good because Jimmy Vardy is walking on water, clearly. You know, it's, it's quite incredible. He's, people knew he was talented, especially after the end of last season. I just don't, don't, don't think anyone could have predicted him being in the form he is right now. It's simply incredible. Scored in nine consecutive games. When I see that Gokhan Inle, who arrived in the summer, doesn't play much... It tells you how strong they are in midfield. And I'm going to give, give a love to a former Ligue 1 player, Ben Golo Conte, who they signed from Caen in the summer again, who no one had never heard of in this country because in this country not many people watch foreign football. Thinking like, who on earth is this 
guy that we've never heard of and we paid you know a fair amount of money and I think not just because of the goal at the weekend, but overall, I think he's been great for them. And they, Riyad Mahrez as well, once again, a former player in France, has been outstanding. And I think and he was outstanding the last thing, season too, was, just that nobody yeah. noticed. The good thing about Claudio, and it was exactly the same at Monaco, is that yes, maybe his training sessions are not the best. They're not Pep's training sessions. and But he gets the best out of everybody because he's warm, because the players like him, because he gets that player-manager sort of relationship that not many managers have. And they like playing for him and they want to play for him. The, the fans are great. And I think once you start well, you get that momentum mm. that keeps you even when you're not on a good day. See, last in the last season, Leicester played Hull City, home game. And it finished nil-nil. And the game was really negative. And I thought it was a changing moment because Nigel Pearson from that moment went quite aggressive in the style he wanted to play. Leicester went on a run towards the end of last season and eventually kept them up. And that way of playing has stayed with them this year. I mean, Vardy and Mahrez... Sorry, do you think there was a change there? Because, yeah, again, I, I want to go back to game. last season. No, no, but I, Leicester were last. But they were being really... They were in the middle part of the season. They were really, really unlucky. Mm. And, and that's why I think Pearson's actually a very good manager. I know he's got perhaps other issues. They were much better. Their performances were much better than their results. And over time... When your performances they, yeah. are better than results, you improve in the mm. same way that if you've been lucky, you, you regress to the mean, yeah. right? I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right, Gab. Their, their, their performances didn't merit them being where they were. But with what's happened is that, I mean, I'm looking at Vardy. He's, you know, leading the goal scorer. Then you have Mahrez, who's second top goal scorer. Leicester have scored more goals than Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea and quite a few other clubs. I think they're only second to, to Man City mm. in the goal scoring charts. It's like, Wow, this is like the eighth wonder of the world at the moment because they are just doing everything. They're go, you know, they're goal scoring. They they concede. We know they were. I, I did a piece when they played Arsenal and I knew it was a really funny, horrible game for them when they lost to Arsenal at home. But I love their bravery of not being afraid to try and win a game. And when you've got Vardy just running on the back, he's like Craig Bellamy at his best. You know, when yeah. Craig would just bomb past people, just chase things down and keep going. I'll ask you one question. I might have asked you this a couple of weeks ago because some people are surprised. The age difference between Rooney and Vardy. I think Rooney's two years older. Yeah. Vardy 29 next month in January. There's 14 months difference between their birthdays. And you're sort of thinking, I know Wayne's played more games and and more games at a higher level. But you sort of think, this guy's 29 years old and he's running his backside off. And that's that scaring the, the life out of people. Does anybody know the Jamie Vardy story? I mean, just for our well, listeners who yeah, don't. Yeah, I know most of it. Can you can you, can you you tell can, us? Because basically... What, you mean non from non-league? From Fleetwood? Right, and, so, well, even before, I mean, the, this guy was 16. He was ditched by mm, Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. And he spent a lot of time in, in non-league football. And if you go, at least according to Wikipedia, he scored tons of goals for all these yeah. Diddy teams, Steel Town Steelers, whatever the hell they, they, they were called. And he moved up to different Levels. crummy conference Every teams. level got better and better. Yeah. Right, but it took him a long, long time. Mm. When somebody... I mean, you look at it, once he scored like 41 goals or something in, in, in conference, and I wonder what was the issue about... I mean, when you see that, you would assume, okay, this guy's 21 years old, he scored a ton of goals. You know, maybe Wednesday missed out on him, but, you know, me, championship team, I'll go and sign him, and then he does well, and then he goes... Like, why did it take him so long? Why did it take so long for English football to realize that this guy was good? Also because at that level, he was so much better than the people he played against. They would wind him up, and then he'd mm. always respond, and people thought he was a bit of a head case. There was a period where very few teams were taking players from non-league 
and when they'd go from non-league, they'd go the route of League Two, League One, and very. When was you know a Premier League team going to take a, a non-league player? It just doesn't happen anymore. Wait, but he didn't even go League Two, no, League One. Like that, that's what's weird. What I'm trying to say is that some. I mean, obviously Nigel Pearson was the ultimate one because he took the gamble with me. Saw eight, what was he eight hundred grand? He was a record for a non-league player, wasn't he at the time? His transfer fee. That he took a. He sees something in him. Now a lot of people might have looked at his negatives, and he does this. Oh, he's crazy. He's mad. Which many scouts and many people who watch football will say, avoid him. He's not right upstairs. Right? <laughs> was, was, is, was, was that, that the chart? Does anybody actually know, or are we all just speculating? Well, he was always... Well, seemingly, we're not seeing that. All we're seeing is now as a guy that's literally scaring the pants off of every defender because they're just watching him literally run and run and run behind them, and he hurts you. He's quite an old-fashioned way of playing. And we, I mean, I first saw him in Russia. I used to say, this guy scares the life out of defenders because he just runs behind him all the time at incredible pace, and Vardy does that. He never, ever is relentless. I mean, he's obviously a very quick player, but he's not somebody who just relies on the pace. I, I think there's an intelligence to his yeah. movement. There's an ability to sniff out space. Which, and a good finisher. Which is pretty instinctive. Yeah. And a good finisher uh, And as a bit well. of love for his, his first touch on the, the penalty he got against Watford on Saturday. Because that first touch, the way he took it down, was incredible. And I don't think many players, even in the Premier League, could have done that at that pace and how beautiful that Mahrez went to take the penalty then yeah. thought twice yeah. mm-hmm. Mahrez really is the person we'd all want to be but know that we can never we can never be how, how would you call, how would you call Mahrez call we, him yeah Riri because we have had Wilf how would you call Riri and Mahrez if you knew him well I, mean, <laughs> I don't know him well I don't know him well ah, enough sorry. to shorten his name yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, uh, just on that final point he's probably very fortunate as well that he's in a very good side that suits him and he's become a vocal point of the way that Leicester want to play it just fits for him. It's fitted perfectly the way that, you know, you could go to another team and he might not be allowed to do the sort of things he's doing at Leicester. Their goal scoring is phenomenal. Just not him, but as a team. Can, How we, do you just, think- can we just address, seeing as this is supposed to be about why Leicester are doing so well, can we just address who they've played? They've had yeah. a very nice start to the I season. Agree. They've got Please and tell us. And when, they, when they've, they've played, the when, they've had, when they've had the difficult game, which was Arsenal, Arsenal in form, at home. the plan at home, the plan of action was, you've got the day off, boys, do what you want. Isn't and it that, wonderful? That, that's what it was. A manager liberating the, 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 the players. Well, he can't do that every time they play a team who's big and true. on form. It is a good point. Yeah. Oh, they've got City, Chelsea. I mean, oh, Chelsea's a real tough one at the moment. But I think Liverpool, Man, Man U, they've got all them coming, coming in the next yeah. game. OK, but they're one point off the top of the freaking table, yeah? I mean, that, that doesn't change, Yes. I, anybody, nobody wants to do percent chances of Leicester staying in the top four, I'm assuming. They, what? Leicester finishing in the top four? Yeah. No, yeah. they won't. No, no. It's still a good story. Yeah. yeah. I, I will leave you with your percent chance that this former Chelsea manager finishes higher than the man who replaced him at Chelsea back in 2004. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, what's the, how many points ahead of... They're 14 oh. points ahead of Chelsea, and we have 26 games to go. Cass? Coin flip, Chelsea. 50-50. Yeah. No, Chelsea will just squeeze ahead of them. I don't think so. I think Leicester will finish there above you go. Chelsea. Yeah. Showing some love for Claudio. Yeah. Right, enough of this. Moving on to some quick hits. Chelsea travel to Stoke and lose again, albeit without the suspended Jose Mourinho. But, Alison, this time they actually looked decent and played well. Yes, they did. And Hazard, most people who were there with me thought it was Hazard's best game of the season for Chelsea. But 
In a way, that made it worse for Chelsea, I thought, because, yes, they were quite classy and elegant and they played some nice stuff. Uh, didn't know how to react to going a goal behind. Hazard's shoulders did droop a little. They started to look a bit fragile. Um, and they played in, a, an, in an inhibited way, which meant they, they, they completely gave up on the wings and tried to sort of do little passes through the middle. And Stoke were all over that. It was... It was sort of um, double-edged, the fact that it was quite a nice performance because they couldn't change when they had to. There's something deeply fragile about the team. Okay, Alison, so basically you're saying that because Chelsea played well without Mourinho, they should just sack him, right? I could go. I could go on for about twenty minutes now as to why. <laughs> kidding, if you want me to, if you want, no, but they yeah. should. They should have actually taken advantage of Mourinho not being there and offered something different off the bench. But he was so control freakery, such a control freak about not letting his coaching team have any say at all in what happened that they missed a trick I think speaking of Stoke and okay I should point out I asked you to prepare for this question so I'm expecting a great story (laughs) speaking of Stoke I was stuck by the humorous Ryan Shawcross Diego Costa stinky armpits routine Uncle Cass I'm sure you have some neat anecdote to tell us who was the most foul smelling centre back who ever marked you when I read the question I was like really you expect me to say someone. I think it's really disrespectful. What Costa did, I just find... I just think it really makes me feel funny about professional footballers who would... You know, I just find it strange. I just find it... And I don't... And I'm not going to say anybody. Was there anybody... Who, okay, without, without naming names, did you have... Were you ever somebody getting... I never remember like, that. No, I was trying to play my game. I never really thought about how someone smelt during it. Um, I just found it a really strange thing for Costa to do. I just thought, mm, don't like that. Just didn't like it. And I don't really want to... Nobody's just, ever wound you up in that way by pretending you stink or look no, funny? No, I don't or? remember, Gab, because when I read it, I thought, do I remember anybody doing that? No. And would I have done anything? No. And mm-hmm. no, I have never had anybody do it to me either. All right. Well, obviously you played in a kinder, gentler time, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Remy Gard halts the rot, snatching a draw on his debut against top-of-the-table Manchester City, no less. Julian Pellegrini said City dominated, but we're simply unlucky. Is he being mean to your countrymen? He's being very mean, San Pellegrino. I don't know why. Give the guy a bit of credit, a bit of encouragement. You know, yes, they wrote that like a bet, but they were well organised, they worked hard, and it was a good, a good point for him to start. Manchester United don't exactly entertain the masses, but they keep another clean sheet and they get three points against West Brom. Alison, I'm directing a question at you because um, there's a court order against Julian from answering this. <laughs> it's fair to say that the current Van Howe isn't the Van Howe you were expecting, and... Maybe it's not the Van Howe Van was expecting either. Well, if you look at who he's managed, he's managed some of the most exciting teams in the world. Ajax, Barcelona, the Dutch national team. So, yeah, Van Hal, you'd think, oh, he'd come into Man United and make them just as exciting. But then if you were to say, who are the most pragmatic managers who've ever managed Ajax or Barcelona or the Dutch national side, you would say Van Hal. So, in a way, it's not that surprising, is it? Would you call Van Hal pragmatic? Yeah, he puts he puts. Oh, really interesting. Because most results before flair. Most people would suggest that other than the Dutch World Cup side, which was totally a pragmatic side, I don't think anybody would dispute that. Most of his career, the argument against him has been that he's been the opposite of pragmatic. That he's actually been such an idealist and with his ideas of football and so on, and he's been so inflexible. And that was both part of his genius and and his great failing. The Sunday Times reported how a bunch of leading footballers, including Danny Murphy, Rio Ferdinand, Martin Keown, uh, were hit extremely hard by the collapse of an investment scheme 
stroke legal tax avoidance scheme, which involved, I don't want to get into the, the nitty gritty of it, but you can go and read it, or you can read Matthew Syed's excellent column on it. Kevin Campbell, for one, lost seven million pounds, mm. which I'm assuming is pretty close to what Kevin Campbell made in his uh, career. Cass, are footballers easy prey for folks willing to gamble with mm. their earnings? Yes, they are. Um Many schemes. I know many players. I know a number of players. I know a particular friend now who's talking to me another scheme that's gone pear shaped that hasn't been mentioned in the last few days because it's only just come alight. We have advisors, which I think are more dangerous than agents because agents seem to help you or try and get you a move to clubs. Uh, but advisors uh, driving in brand new cars, they uh, charge you huge fees, commissions. But I also would add that I think there are a lot of footballers who are very lazy um, with what they should be doing with their investments, their funds of what they've made over their career. Because sometimes people just slip a document underneath you who they've known you for 10 years and they say, just sign that, it's just to transfer your money from one fund to another. But you might cost you 10% of that fund. And there'll be a lot more stories to come in the next few years about even bigger amounts. For somebody to go and, it's and, not and just do this, you, that, I think there has to be a relation, such a relationship yeah. of trust. Yes, with yeah. your with your financial advisor. And well, there was one particular case that I'd mentioned that uh, the trust was abused, and the abuse has cost a lot of people lots of money because the person's going to get in trouble. But these are all things that are happening have been happening for years. I've did it in a very small level because I like to do things myself. But I do think that I go back to one point. Gab, I think there's a number of footballers who are very lazy because you can employ solicitors or people like who know the ups and the downsides of a particular document or a document or an investment, which players tend to trust someone a little bit too much. I believe there's also the PFA also has some kind yeah, of equivalent of a citizens advice absolutely. bureau. So yeah. Football person, footballers, if you're but listening to this. it's not just footballers. There's many, and I right. chatted to Alison about this. There's lots of people you'd be surprised in the entertainment world and, and other parts of the, you know, big business where they get involved as well. Bournemouth lose at home, but it's one of the most one-sided games uh, you'll see, or one of the most one-sided games I've seen recently, as they absolutely dominate Newcastle and only a tremendous performance from keeper Robbie Elliott, who was actually, wasn't even supposed to play. He was carrying a knock. Uh, Julian, is this a sign, though, that going back to the argument about performances and results that Bournemouth will pull off a great escape I think it is it is a big sign I've got loads of time and love and, and faith in Ian and for Eddie Howe and, and Bournemouth I think they're going to sign they were very unlucky with injuries Mings and Wilson Gra- uh, uh, Grado Mac- yeah so I think their strength they, they, they buy a few people in, in January and, and I really believe they will stay up really really or it wasn't just that the performance was so good because Newcastle are so god awful and God is still punishing <laughs> Steve McLaren yeah, and I'm sure I would have the Crystal Palace squad ahead of the Newcastle squad, although it's not too bad. Gab, one for you. There were derbies all over the place in Europe. Rome derby, Ruhr derby and Lyon v Saint-Étienne. Tell us about all of them, but briefly. Right, the Rome derby was uh, played without the ultras in a surreal atmosphere because they're angry about crowd segregation. Roma won 2-0, Gervinho getting the second goal, Jekyll getting the first on a dodgy penalty. Big win for them, they're close to the top of the table. In the Roar derby, it was uh, Borussia Dortmund who dominated. No, Marco Royce, Aubameyang had a bad game, Hummels had an absolute stinker, and that's the only reason that Schalke scored two goals. Uh, but well done, Tuchel. Uh, Gintner, or Ginter, uh, the left-back, was uh, was exceptional, as was one Gonzalo Castro. And Lyon and Saint-Étienne, Lyon rolling to a rather comfortable in the end 3-0 win but 
uh, you're nodding along, so I'm glad I have I have your approval. It was a bit difficult because they decided to schedule that game uh, at the same time as uh, as Fiorentina, or top of the league in Serie A. How cool is that? And of course, uh, the Real Madrid Seville game, which um, Real Madrid lost. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my guests today, Tony Cascarino, Alison Rudd, and Julian Lawrence. Uh, please press that subscribe button. We're going to be back next week. And remember, you can get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search The Times online and you'll find everything you need. Till next time, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.